Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of Slaytanic Veracast. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting live from Elon Musk's secret lair inside the world's largest volcano, is Dr. L. How do you do, Doc? Um, I'm very well. So, um, as usual, um, I'm experimenting with the loquescent teleportation device. Of course. Um, and um, thanks to the fact that, that, that Mo is now sort of... Um, uh, running the sort of operation side. Um, so to be clear, I operate the flux capacitor. Oh, so do, do, do you actually get to know where I'm going? I know exactly where if, I, you I do, send you, Doc. If, 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 you. If, if you do, then keep it to yourself. I like the idea of there being an element of randomness about this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't mind being controlled and manipulated as long as I don't know. Sure. All right. But forget I said um, that. I, I, I didn't even hear what you said. No. I didn't even hear. Um, so, yeah, anyway, here I am inside this hollowed-out volcano. Um, who does it belong to? Elon Musk. And who would that be? Elon Musk is one of the richest men in the world. Uh, he owns Tesla. Um, the That's the electric car company and SpaceX project. Oh, it, isn't he just a con man? Well, you tell me, Doc. You're there. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I've heard about, like, that bloke who's conning many out of people by claiming to have a spaceship. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's him. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's it's not quite as impressive as um, the guy who sold London Bridge to a wealthy Arab. Ha-ha. <laughs> um, and um, I, I, I think went on to sell the Sydney Opera House to another one. Sure. Yeah, I, th- I think um, there was a daft Texan bought it at one point as well. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, so rather befittingly, um, I don't even think it's a volcano I'm inside. Um, I think it's a stage set mm-hmm. um, left over from beneath the planet of the apes mm-hmm. in, southern, in, in in the Southern California desert. Take your sticking paws off me, you damn dirty ape! Yeah, um, and it's it's a bit threadbare and shabby and completely empty. Is it really? There's nothing yeah. there. We're, we're, we're talking Emperor's New Clothes here, are we, Doc? It's it's a very nice, like um, slightly threadbare film set. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the alkaline atmosphere in this part of the world because it's 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 quite close to um, where the U.S. Air Force um, boneyard is. Right, the place where. The, um, the place where they mothball all their aeroplanes because the the the, um, the atmospheric conditions um, are close to perfect for preserving non-perishable items. It, it, so, you in the Nevada desert by any chance? I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't swear that it's the Nevada desert. It might yeah. be the, might be the Mojave desert. Okay, fair enough. Um, somewhere in Southern California, like mm-hmm. quite a bit in the north. And it, it's a very nicely preserved slightly threadbare film set but but you know i mean the the chicken wires the papers and um a lot of it is sort of unmistakably made from um old mining timbers mm-hmm. um but it's a very atmospheric place i wouldn't mind owning it myself apart mm-hmm. from the fact that I, I just start to dry out here a bit too quickly you you would be rendered as a husk within 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 a week i fear doc 
Uh, yeah, just, uh, I mean, a husk would presuppose that I actually had epidermis and or bones, which I have neither. Um, so I, I, I think I just lose liquid mass. It, um, is Elon there by any chance? No. No? no? Oh, God. No one right. No one there. Oh, Christ, Doc. Um, what have I done there's, there's a wino asleep in the corner. Oh, bloody hell, mate. Oh, oh Christ. Next time. Um, next time we'll get something. Don't worry. Yeah. yeah. Um, Doc, I'm going to show you something. Can you see me on video? Hang on. I'll turn the video on. Hang on. Yes. Can you see me? I'm going to show you I something can. there, Doc. What do you think about this? Oh, my goodness gracious me. What a reveal. What's going on? Well, um, listeners, it's a thing of beauty. Uh, <laughs> it's been a long time since I saw a human head that symmetrical from top oh, to bottom. I, I, I've just got a wonderful shaped head, haven't I, Doc? It's beautiful. I know. It's spectacular. It's been commented um, on at work today. I, 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 it's, it's really, really rare to see a white person with such a perfectly shaped skull. It, 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 it is a, I call it domus perfectus. <laughs> well, it really is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I can practically see the outline of your brain pressing on the inside of it. Isn't it great? <laughs> I, th I think my handsomeness factor has gone up by at least 25%. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, um, it's wonderful. That is, I, I mean... If I were a if I were a vulgar person, um, I might I might make some sort of terrible joke and go, "Good head, good <laughs> head." <laughs> <laughs> well, my my, um, my boss, second in command at the, at the at the super store that I work at, asked me what my plans were this evening, and because she's a very naughty girl, um, I told her that I was going to I, I plan to grease my head up and shove it up the. Showed up the arse of a horse, and my, she laughed. My, she laughed. <laughs> <laughs> She's a very um, naughty girl. Do yeah. you remember um, when, and I don't think we offended to, uh, we, we intended to, but we offended and disgusted a young man in the pub um, by telling him that your favourite hobby was sculling. <laughs> That's right, yes. I, I, I think we, we, we talked about squicking from time to time as well. We talked about squicking. We, 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 we talked about squicking. Um, yeah. Which, I think you found a little bit unbelievable, but when you were talking about um, how you love to, to participate in some anal sculling. Anal sculling. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. And, and, and I, I, you know, I, I teased my uh, my manager today by suggesting that I was going to indulge in a bit of anal sculling of the equine variety. Um, <laughs> do, you want a video, do you want a video game update, sir? Yes, please. Um, I've... I've, I've I started Gravity Rush 2. You, 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 I was talking about Gravity Rush. I got the platinum from it, and I moved on yeah. to Gravity Rush 2. Hasn't quite grabbed me in the same way. I'm still going to chip away at it, but I don't want it to be my main game. That's going to be like my background game. Um, that you know, I'll just chip away at a, a mission here and there over a period of time. It's probably going to take me a couple of months to finish that one. Um, just too many fetch quests for my liking. <laughs> Too many fetch quests, you know, where, where you, you go to a marker on the map and you meet some one of the villagers and they say, oh, can you help me with my chickens? My chickens have escaped. Can you bring my chickens back to the coop? Fuck off. Too many of those. Um, no, that, that, that sounds great. I'd love oh, to do mate, that. One, every so often it's all right, but when that's all it is. No, no. Not the, the, 
Are they cute chickens? Are they're they very cute. cute. Yeah, they're chicken? Very cute, kind of Japanese-style animation. Very, very cute. Um, so it, is, is there a game that involves nothing but that? Well, you've got, um, I, I suppose Farmville would be... Um, no, no, Farmville was the old Facebook game. What's it bloody called, Doc? The Nintendo one. Animal Crossing. That's okay. Animal okay. Crossing. That's the name of it, yeah. And it, and the, the, that game, apparently, I've never played it. It's not my type of game at all. Involves kind of tending your beetroot, looking after the chickens and rabbits, and feeding the horses, basically. Yeah, yeah. You'd, you'd love it, Doc, I think. Oh, it yeah, sounds it's, lovely. It's, it's, by all accounts, it is. I'm never going to play it, but by all accounts, it's absolutely delightful. Um, oh, bless. <laughs> so I've moved on to my main game now, which is Saints Row the Third Remaster for the PlayStation 4. This is a, a, a PS3 game from about 10 years ago. They've kind of spruced up the graphics, made it look nicer um, for the PS4, you know, because it's a more powerful machine. Um it's a GTA clone, um, <clears throat> GTA Grand Theft Auto. It's a GTA clone, um, and but just way, way more over the top and involves kind of superpowers and incredible abilities, whereas GTA is much more grounded and just about kind of guns and fights and stuff um, and beating up, beating up hookers, unfortunately. Um, well, Saints Row the Third is just much, way, way more fun. Um, you... The idea is to take control. I think it's called Steelport City. Um, it's obviously meant to be Detroit. Um, and, you know, you start the game, you have 0% control of the city, and your mission is to get 100% control. Um, along the way, you know, you play the story missions, which are great fun, kind of real over-the-top power fantasy kind of crap, like James Bond shit, basically. Um, and then you've got these crazy sign missions. My favourite of the bunch is one called Insurance Fraud, where you have to earn as much money as possible from insurance companies. And the way that you do this is by, <laughs> I'm not making this up, hurling yourself in front of moving vehicles to get, <laughs> to get as injured as possible. It's, great. it's really good. Yeah, brilliant. That's, 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 my, uh, that's my February... Platinum Trophy Mission, Saints Row the Third. Everyone, go and buy it right now. It's fucking brilliant. What have you been listening to, Doc? Um, as you know, I, I don't have a particularly broad palette of, uh, of music that I listen to. It just tends to be the, the three or four same different styles, genre, genres, if you will. Mm. Um, and I, I try to keep things as interesting to the listeners as I can during this project, but sometimes I end up looping back. And it, it's been back to the 50s Exotica. Um, so a uh, bit of an introduction. Exotica is a, it is a genre of music. Um, one might even say a market um, that existed for a relatively short space of time. Some people put it back as far as the 30s, but generally people seem to think it's between the years 1946 and 1959. Sure. Um, sure. And it's um, exclusively USian, not even American, not even continental American, but exclusively USian recreations, pastiches, homages to the music of the Far East and the South Pacific. Mm. What's the difference, um, Doc, between American and USian? I've, I've, I've never heard this distinction before. Well, I would say American includes Mexico and Canada. Oh, fair enough. Um, the Americas, basically. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I, it's also arbitrary, isn't it? Um, I always think of South America, like um, south from the narrow bit where the canal goes through, mm. as being a completely different thing. Um, but if you say America, then I seem to think that that includes at least Canada and probably Mexico too. You know, I don't think many people think that, Doc. I'll be honest with you. I think if you say America to most people, they think of the USA. Yeah. They may, um, they may be factually incorrect, but I think that's what they think. I mean, if, if that works for other people, then um, uh, I'll say American. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, Go on, Doc. I'll, um, I'll throw you a little bit. Should, I don't know, should, uh, do you ever listen to it? Yeah. Here we go. You can you can hear that Eastern influence, can't you? Um, yeah, definitely. And what I love, <laughs> it's one of those cultural products of a different age that was regarded with supreme suspicion for a long time. I think sort of throughout the late seventies and eighties. Is it cultural appropriation? Is it oh, yeah. straight up racist? Um, I mean, is it actively mocking the lifestyle and culture of, of, of indigenous people? Um, and um, here's the definitive word on the subject. No, it isn't. Not mm-hmm. one person who made one of these records set out to demean any native New Zealanders or make any actual Tahitians feel bad about themselves or their mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. In, in general, Doc, I have a very, very low regard for people that bandy around the word cultural appropriation when it comes to art. Um, let's have another 30 seconds. Here we go. really hear this in a Tarantino movie, Doc. I've got no doubt. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's... I think Quentin Tarantino is one of the people who is very much responsible for this stuff being re-evaluated mm. um, and re-examined and understood for what it is, which is, it was never... It was never trying to steal from somebody else's culture. It was never... It, and by stealing, I mean, it was never trying to take away something of theirs so that they wouldn't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so, as such, completely different from stealing oil from Nigeria. Sure. Well, that, that, that's the thing. Is it, when I say I have low regard for cultural appropriation, you know, it, it, you know, stealing the Elgin marbles and fucking Cleopatra's needle. Yes, yes, that's bad. You know, but 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 taking an influence from a piece of music or, or or a piece of art that you've seen that happens to be from a different culture and then being accused of some kind of racism, get fucked. Yeah, I mean, in the end, the baseline definition of stealing is 
stopping the the rightful owner from being able to use it. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Someone steals your car, the... you can't drive your car, can you? That's right. And yeah, that was never the intention. Um, and um, so a lot of the stuff became to be reevaluated. And I mean, you know, I may as well like um, put my influences on my sleeve. Um, likely because, likely a, a big part because of Quentin Tarantino and, and, and other people like him. Um, it was a massive hipster thing in the late 90s. Um, I could talk about like my sort of journey alongside Exotica um, for a long time, mm. which I probably will at some point, but not here. Um, what I really like is that your Martin Denny, um, your Les Baxter, your Julie London, um, and your Esquivel um, sort of came off of that that first wave of the um, the rediscovery. Um, and instead of it being a flash in the pan thing that got lost to lost to posterity again, um, what a surprising number of people seem to have done is to carry on digging into what was below the surface, even by the standards of the forties and fifties. Um, and point number one, it, it, Exotica, as far as I can see, is so stupidly populist. The idea of it having an underground version or an underground movement attached to it just seems silly to me. Um, you know, it, it's it, it's as silly as there being underground elevator music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um but as we'll discover next week, I hope there actually is underground elevator music. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, but it turns out that, that no, there was a not like a tiny little post hipster ironic exotic underground. Um, there was a reasonably large movement, um, yeah. and there, there were seemingly dozens or even hundreds of bands who maybe like made one record, um, which was probably only ever sold in the lobby lounge of the hotel where they played. Or probably like they had a suitcase full of these records that they'd made and they might have sold like a couple of copies at the end of their set. Um, and people have gone to extraordinary lengths to go crate diving and dig these things up and unbelievably find out who holds the licenses and make sure that the, the rightful copyright holder gets a bob or two mm-hmm. and um, accumulated them onto. And I, I think the set narrows to something like four quadruple albums. Right. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, so, I mean, this stuff has turned out to have enough of an enduring appeal that, uh, I mean, several thousands of people in the world are willing to spend several hundreds of pounds mm-hmm. each. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really like it. That's roughly the cost of a Guy and Smith novel doc, by the way. <laughs> This week, um, and you know what I think of Guy and Smith. Yeah, a quarter of a million, a quarter of a million pounds for a Guy and Smith. I don't mean what his fee should have been. I mean a quarter of a million pounds for a Guy and Smith novel. That's right. It's not nearly enough. No, correct. It's not nearly. I mean, fucking priceless those things are. Surely, surely. Duck, do you want to know what I've been listening to? I'd love to. Um, now, I'm not a big fan of folk music. Um, I find it. You know, normally kind of water off a duck's back. It doesn't offend me, but it doesn't inspire me either. It doesn't get my heart racing. Then I heard this track by a band called The Decemberists. Um, the track's called Sons and Daughters. Now, on the back of this, 
I went to YouTube and I, and I tried to listen to a concert by them. And everything else that they played, I found almost fucking unlistenable. Um, but this track stood out, head and shoulders. Um, I'm going to play it to you. Here we go, Doc. When we arrive, sons and daughters will make our homes on the water. We'll build our walls, aluminum will fill our mouths with cinnamon now. So very, very folksy. I think there's even a hurdy-gurdy at work in there, Doc, you know? Um... Yeah, I, I think I, I was trying to place what that was. I didn't know whether it was an accordion, but now you said so. Yes, I'm certain it was a hurdy gurdy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm gonna. I really love the melody of it. I like his voice. Um, but what I particularly love are the lyrics. They send tingles up and down my body in a way that few songs do. We've spoken about this before, haven't we? This, this, this kind yeah. of the, 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 synesthesia, isn't it? Um, yes, you know, it, it actually has like a physical impact on you, and it's the lyrics. I, I'm going to read them to you, Doc, and, and you try and figure out why I love these so much. When we arrive, sons and daughters, we'll make our homes on the water, we'll build our walls of aluminum, we'll fill our lives with cinnamon. Take up your arms, sons and daughters, we will arise from the bunkers by land, by sea, by dirigible. We'll leave our tracks untraceable. Honestly, Doc, it just makes me so fucking tingly and warm. Um, can you detect why that might be, knowing me so well? But honestly, no. No. Sorry. That's all right, Doc. To me, in my head, these words paint a sci-fi narrative. Um, you know, some calamity has befallen the Earth. Presumably a nuclear war, because towards the end of the track, they start repeating the line, hear all the bombs fade away. And they repeat that on repetition about 30 or 40 times. Um, so presumably there's been a nuclear war. The survivors of the war <clears throat> are off somewhere. They've found a sanctuary, basically, and they're going to rebuild society. And they're going to create utopia from the dystopia they've just left. I fucking love it, Doc. I'm not saying that's what the track's oh. about. That's just my interpretation of it. Oh, bless. Yeah, it really, really makes me tingle. I'll give you another 30 seconds. Here we go. These currents pull us across the border. Steady your boats, arms to shoulder. Till tides or pull, or hold the guns making this call. Harbor down. And it kind of carries on like that for about five minutes. There's a bit of a beat kicks in a bit later and it gets a bit more upbeat. Um, yeah, the Decemberists, Sons and Daughters. That's my tune of the week. Um, Doc, chat time. Uh, only one. I said that Foreman is Fatal to the Flesh by Morbid Angel was industrial tinged. It is not. I was thinking of their Eye album, um, which is called Illud Divinum Insanus. 
But don't worry, guys. We cut in a track from the correct album at the appropriate place last time out. Do you want a, do you want a topic? As a oh, mnemonic for the future, as a mnemonic for the future, the word industrial also starts with I. Whoa. Oh, Doc, you've just blown my fucking mind. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doc, do you want a topic? I'd love one. Yes, please. Here we go. Why do the younger generation not seem as passionate about music as we were? What do you think? Oh, Am I just being an old fart? One has to police oneself against the inevitable... Um, old forties, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, every, every generation thinks that the popular culture of the subsequent generation is valueless and not as good as their stuff. That's not what I'm saying here, Doc. Yeah. Um, why do people not? So I, I, I need to get that out of the way before yeah, I can start talking about. Yeah. Um, because obviously, um, the most the most obvious thing for me to say was because it's shit, and I mm. wouldn't be able to get passionate about any of that crap either. Fair enough, yeah. Uh-huh. But, um, I, but so, I don't think that's true. So obviously I had to um, like get the previous thing out of the way. Yeah, you caveated it, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so considering that, um, as anyone who's been listening to this for a while should know, I think generation gaps are a very good and necessary thing. Um, and I think I'm coming close to an answer here. Um, one of the reasons that younger people are not so passionate about their stuff as previous generations have been is fundamentally none of it alienates old fuckers like me. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't even theirs. There isn't a generation gap. Yeah. Um, young people at the moment don't even have their own music. Mm. Um, I mean, if it was theirs, if it rightfully belonged to them, it should piss me off. What about uh, the likes of, like, Drill and Trap? Um, In their very early incarnations, um, and, I mean, please do bear in mind how far back you're going now. Yeah. Um, I mean, I I think you're probably going back at least eight years and maybe ten years for Drill and Trap, and, like, the last, the, the very last thing that I would truly describe as music for youth by youth, which was Grime, um, I would say it was all over by 2006. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, there are 18-year-olds now um, who've never had their own music. Yeah. Um, the reason that this question occurred to me, I work with a bunch of uh, pouchlings. Um, yeah. And, you know, at work, I'm the music man. You know, in my pocket, I've got my phone, it's got Spotify on, and it's constantly playing music in the warehouse um, to drown out the sound of the same fucking 10 songs that's played in, 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 the, in, in the store, basically, that, that yeah. sends everybody crackers. So, you know, and I, I take requests, and everybody seems perfectly happy with, with, with what's going on. But the, but the younglings, if you say to them, you know, what, you know, what, what do you fancy listening to today? They just look, kind of, they just kind of look at you blankly, and they, they just don't have a fucking clue. Um, and, and the answer is always, oh, whatever, you know, whatever you want. What? Oh, right, yeah. What do you like? Oh, everything. I like it. Do you really? No, you fucking don't. Tell me what you like. And and I find it really, really infuriating, Doc. Um. Here's an answer that I would have been very confident giving you four years ago. Yeah. 
um, when I was in a different job with a, with a bunch of different people. I don't think music is even a part of youth culture anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, four years ago, I would have been very, very confident to have said that video games had completely supplanted music um, as what popular culture and youth culture actually is. Mm. Um, except the funny thing is that within the last year or so, I haven't even heard people talking about video games either. Sure. Um, I think what popular culture is, um, is Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's it. I think that's the beginning and the end of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I think music is some... Um, and here's the strange thing, because festivals as a thing to do are larger and more popular and pull more people than they ever have at any point in history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you like the focus has gone to like the big weekend and the big weekend is is the festival and who's actually performing I think is by and large irrelevant mm-hmm. um, you've been to more festivals than I have because I've never been to any yeah. so you can you're, you're, you're more qualified than me um, and I wanted to ask you, maybe twas ever thus, maybe mm-hmm. the big weekend was always the thing and you could literally give a stuff about who was playing because you weren't going to like everybody anyway. Um, so that still exists as a form of music in which people are engaged and they're presumably into enough to fork over an absolute shitload of money to go and do. But I, I, but, I don't think they're going for the bands, are they? They're going for the experience, for the event. For the big weekend, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's what I wanted to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, maybe twas ever thus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think any, anyone ever set off for Reading, like for, for three days of Reading, expecting to enjoy every band on the bill. Oh, of course, it's not possible. Um, uh, so, but I don't think that um, following a band reading the interviews, getting excited about the upcoming album, waiting for the upcoming album, putting your deposit on the upcoming album for the day of release, going to the shop and buying it and pressing your sticky nose against the door, waiting for the shop to open, um, and then clutching the thing in your arms like a newborn baby and rushing at mm. home and listening. I, I, I think that experience is as gone from popular culture as being excited about um, sitting on the bank of the railway and looking at steam trains. Sure. No, no I think you're quite right. And I, and I think that's part of the problem. I think music now is a disposable commodity that has almost <laughs> no value. Um, and therefore, you know, how, how can how can the pouchlings be expected to get excited and pumped up and passionate about something that culturally has zero worth? Well, I mean, this is it. And maybe that's the generation gap. Maybe, maybe that's the ultimate generation gap. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just this whole thing that was meaningful to people our age. It yeah. isn't meaningful to people anymore. No. Oh, it makes me sad, Doc. Um, it makes me sad. You know, I mean, um, uh, sort of around the time of World War II, when my oldest surviving relatives were pouchlings themselves. Yeah. Um, and... And constructing model aeroplanes mm. was a huge thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, a- obtaining the parts and building the bicycle um, was a big thing. Um, and I suppose a lot of those people would say that um, imported American crap like rock and roll um, spoiled all their fun and put an end to their stuff. 
And that's, yeah, fair comment, Doc. Fair comment. Um, don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slightanicvercast at gmail.com. Let's get on with the show. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we're going to play through the track as normal, stop it from time to time, and talk nonsense about it. Um, today's track is, of course, uh, Sex, Murder, Art, track two from Slayer's sixth full-length album, Divine Intervention. Here we go. Quite a technical opening, Doc. Wasn't that a very interesting opening? Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I could spot kind of three generations of Slayer all together. Yeah. In that. Well, the freneticism and the speed of Rain and Blood Era Slayer, mm-hmm. um, the sort of superlative technicality that marked out the high points of the previous album. Yeah. Um, and some borderline Nawabum or old school heavy metal um, harmonies and tunes that were kind of almost off Hell Awaits. And I love the fact as well, you've got kind of poor boss stuff there. He's like riding the hi-hat in the background and just these little mm-hmm. flurries on the bass drum, really kind of off-kilter timing. I think what I think what distinguishes poor boss stuff from Dave Lombardo, his sense of timing is, is just a bit more warped. You know, Dave, for all his brilliance, and I fucking love Dave, He's quite kind of four four in a way, you know. He's not he's not really off beat with it, you know with the actual drum patterns. Incredibly complex, wonderful fills, constantly changing and evolving. But the actual beats themselves are quite straightforward. Whereas Bostoff is different, man. He he just adds this kind of sense of weirdness to some of the some of the riffs. Um, I think Lombardo is one of those drummers who came of age either at exactly the right time or exactly the wrong time. Um, I mean, his his playing in metal kind of defined what metal drumming was for, 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 for a very long... I mean, he's, he's still kind of the man to beat for pure metal drumming, isn't he? Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a little bit too old... Um, to be, I think, probably the Paul Bostoff generation, when it was already becoming acceptable um, to mix in forbidden influences such as um, jazz and Latin um, into metal drumming styles. Yeah. Dave Lombardo flirts with jazz, um, and he, he he does it quite a lot, but you can tell when he's doing it. It's mm-hmm. it, it's It's never natural for him. You can always tell when he's going, let's try this this time. Yeah. Um, and it, I, th- I think you can always tell when he's out of his comfort zone as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy, um, this new guy, um, he's he's playing off the ball right out of the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're two tracks in. And, you know, track one, he kicked off with a pretty fucking epic drum solo. Oh, epic, not long. Epic as in, my God, have that. Um um, I've been listening to the PBS America um, 
eight times two hours documentary series on the history of jazz recently. And I'm up to about 19, I'm up to about 1955 now. Mm. And I think there's a very interesting interview or clip from an interview that they did with, and I, I'm, I'm going to say it was Art Blakely. And he said, um, I fired drummers because I could guess what they were going to play. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't think you're going to guess what this, this dude's going to do. Let's press on. Here we go. All the way through, you've got these little like, fucking triplets on the bass drum. It's absolutely bonkers, Doc. I don't know how you hold that timing. Um, it's really, really interesting to listen to. Mm. Um, it, it's it's one of those things, isn't it, where um, I bet you, and I bet you were one, um, are those people who, when you heard that um, Lombardo had quit and you were like, my God, who could never replace that? Mm-hmm. And then 1.2 tracks into the new album, and you're like, uh, okay, okay, I got it. Yeah, we're, we're okay. We're in safe hands, man. Yeah, we're in yeah. safe hands, brother. You're right. Yeah. Um, you know, we've only played 57 seconds and we're already halfway through the track. I tell you what, <laughs> let's, let's just play it out, Doc. Here we go. Here, to the go guys short and sweet that was track two um from divine intervention sex murder art there you go man about one minute 55 seconds the shortest track they've done since rain in blood um do you think that do you think they're making a point um yeah and i i'll need your help with this i am curious about what point it is they're i'm curious about what point it is you think they're trying to make Mm. well it's stripped down, um, you know, the, the, I was, was going to say the technicality is gone, but that's not true because that first riff is very technical. And by the way, hard as fucking nails to play. I've never, I've never I cracked that it. one. I've never cracked that one. I, I can get close, but I can't play properly. Um, um, <clears throat> but, but, but once that's out of the way, it's just a, just a straight ahead kind of punk laced thrasher. Um, no real subtlety, you know, yeah, yeah, that's right, guys. We finished the last album with like a six minute epic, brooding, atmospheric, melodic, almost rock song, really. Um, uh, don't worry, 
we can still do this. I think that's the point they're making, Doc. Um, I've got to come at this from a couple of different sides, um, and I'll, I'll sort of I'll come at the negative one first, so I yeah. can then sort of balance myself. Yeah, this is almost the same criticism that I had of the second track on South of Heaven. Oh yeah, Silent Scream, your favourite. Yeah, um, kind of for the same reasons, which we'll get into again a bit later. Same place on the album um, as well, Doc, interestingly. But th- this, this is exactly what, what brought it to my attention. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's and because it's got the spectre of the silent screen hanging over it, because it does exactly the same thing, <clears throat> it, it's got that same rabbity cowardice mm-hmm. to it. Um, they they seem to want to hang it out with something brilliant and original, um, and then they seem to want to scuttle back under the mother skirts of rain and blood again. Now, are you a bit cross with that? We'll get to the lyrics, Doc. But is it possible that you're a bit cross because you don't like the like the, the subject matter of the lyrics? On this occasion, no. Um, okay. I mean, this is I. The lyrics of Silent Screen pissed me off, as you know. Yeah. Because um, I I really don't like it. I really don't like it when people use real-world topics to be a bit edgy or to be a bit controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> along with a song that I thought was musically cowardly, um, I thought it was a lyrical topic that was cowardly as well. Sure. Um, I mean, this is. Uh, we'll get to the lyrics in a bit, but this is a complete piece of this. This is a complete piece of fiction, mm-hmm. um, and as such, has no power to offend me. Fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it, it's the. Um, I, I want to know. Uh, I mean, if it was just something they wanted to do, uh, let's do a song like this. Um, then that's fine. Um, it just seems odd to me that. Um, this is the second time they've done this um, with a song that I don't like in a style that I'm predisposed not to like, nothing to do with lyrics. Um, and it seems to do the exact same thing. They seem worried that they've stuck their necks out too far with the first track. And, you know, whereas they should be unnerving the audience even more and going out further and further and further and getting weirder and weirder. Um, they, they've they've scuttled back into the place of safety again in exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, that's there's, what I don't like. That's what I don't like about it. Here is what I like about it. Um, it does what silent screen was trying to do much, much better. Um, obviously, as I've said many times before, um, one of my least favourite things to hear bands say is it's a return to the old style or we're going back to our roots. 
return to form, Doc. Return yeah. to form. Um, I mean, it's bad. It, it, it's pretty bad when Iron Maiden say it. It's an endurable when Metallica say it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, but this actually, if you've pulled off a rain in blood, I can understand why you'd want to go back and correct the mistakes that you saw at the time. Um, I can spot almost nothing wrong with Rain and Blood, but I didn't play on it, and I didn't have a hand in writing it. And if I had, I bet you, if I was a member of the band, I bet you I could, I'd, I'd be like four years on or five years on from Rain and Blood, six years on even, and thinking to myself, well, you know, the album was pretty hot, but damn, if we'd made it now, if we were doing that thing from scratch now, we could do it so much better. Yeah, if we were doing it now, um, dot, 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 basically. Yeah, and that's yeah. what this track is. Yeah. That's yeah. what this track is. I, th- I definitely think it's an attempt to kind of recapture former glories. Um, and, and that makes no sense, given that the previous album was so fucking magnificent. Well, they've, they've moved on so far from that. Not that, there was a, not that there's anything wrong with Rain and Blood. No, of course. Not that, I'm trying to say, not that I'm trying to say that Rain and Blood was juvenilia or that it was immature. Um but it was the absolute definitive statement of that moment in time and that moment in metal. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing to do is to move on to it. And so they did. Um, and then moved on, for it, on to it from, uh, magnificently. Now, if they've got this itch that they want to scratch, um, maybe even they're mature enough men to be sort of like having rosy memories of their own youth when they were young and carefree. Mm. Um, damn, it would be great to have those rain and blood days back again now, wouldn't mm. it? Mm. Um, let's do a song that makes us feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, I thought, um, Doc. I thought, Doc. This was a member of Slayer scratching an itch. But then I looked at the writing credits, which of course we'll get onto in part four, and I realised that no, my instinct was incorrect. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, was your suspicion? Um, what was your suspicion that it was it um, it was uh, it was Mr. Hanneman digging his heels in? Well, d- 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 well, all right, we'll do it now. Yeah, I yeah. thought this was a Hanneman jam all the fucking way. Um, you know, just wanting to write a punk track, basically. You know, sure. and going as and going as punky as, as the rest of the band would allow him to go. Um, but no, he didn't. He did. He's not on the writing credits, Doc. It's really surprising. Um, this sort of. When you have like one member of it, it, it's always interesting, isn't it? When you have one member of a band um, who persistently wants to get back to the roots, and when they do, they never quite do, but something equally interesting happens. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think, but he, but he didn't write this doc, he didn't touch it, and that's even more interesting. That, that, that's my point. That's my point. That's my point. I suspected, but you know, listening to this song, I thought all the way, this is Hanneman, Hanneman, Hanneman. This is Hanneman track. Then I looked sure. at the, looked at the writing credits. No, it's it's Tom and Kerry. So is it is it a birthday present? You know, or is it just you know um, two guitarists that are now so kind of in tune with each other that you literally can't tell them apart? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've joked about it before, but only because it's true. 
I always liked the fact that Judas Priest never credited two guitar players. They always credited KK Downing, Oblique Stroke, um, Glenn Tipton, Twin Guitar Attack. Twin Guitar Attack, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and by and, the way, uh, no name that solo, because guess what? There ain't a fucking solo. Isn't yeah. Is that the uh, first like, is, is that the first track without a solo? I think there's one on Raining Blood, but I can't remember which track is. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, here's the funniest thing. So this is obviously coming from the man who used to refuse to listen to metal at all because it was too too self-indulgent because mm. of the solos. <laughs> 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 you knew me when I was 16. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I do remember you saying that you've, you, you you thought that the solos on Nirvana's Nevermind were too bombastic. One yes. of the funniest fucking things I've ever read in my life. Much, much, much too musicianly. Far, far, right. far too much, far too much preening and showing off. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, fucking long haired fucking princesses. Can't That's stand right. them. Yeah. Um, and. Um, uh, Nowadays, um, I think this song really misses a Slayer solo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's... I suppose, in the end, what I'll never get away from is that I was never I was never a big fan of the speed and intensity for the sake of speed and intensity. Got to get it all in in under one minute. Um, I, I wasn't into it when the very appropriately named Minutemen did it. I was never a big fan of, of it when his could do did it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it always had the air of a gimmick. Mm. Um, and it was interesting you, to you me. Also that, like con- oh, sorry, Doc, you also like, sorry, you're also kind of constraining yourself, aren't you? You know, by setting a rule that makes no fucking sense. You know, you, you're the minute man and you write like a super cool fucking punky sounding kind of drone thing. That would that could easily fill eight minutes, but because of these stupid rules you've set yourself, you can't ever play it. It makes no sense, Doc. It it doesn't, and I mean, people who are a bit older than me and who are more into it will say it made sense at the time um, because there was a need to prove. Um, it wasn't that we couldn't follow rules. It wasn't that we couldn't exert self-discipline. It's that we weren't following your rules and we yep. weren't going to be disciplined by you. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I understand. <laughs> and, that, and, and that was the point of this. Anything else? Anything else to say, Doc, on the music, or should we uh, crack into the lyrics? What do you reckon? Well, uh, th- th- there isn't a lot of music to read. That's get the point. Into. It is. It's, a, it's a two-minute kind of smash and grab, isn't it? Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Welcome to part three of the show. Um, we call it. What do we call it, Doc? Evil speak. Evil like speak. We said just like that. We certainly do. Um, here we're going to go through the lyrics and talk about them. I'll start, Doc. Here we go. Caught, now you're mine. I am the master of your whipping time. The smile on my lips, the look of horror on your face. Self-justification, can't rid the sexual fascination. Can 
you deny my face of pleasure, the gleam in my eye. Doc, Slayer getting down and sexy and nasty. What do we think about this? Um, accusations of misogyny are funny things now, mm. aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I think by the time that we get to something like this that's so carefully calculated to be offensive. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it is, isn't it? This, 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 this is an exercise in right-wing baiting, isn't it? Right-wing and left-wing. Uh, and like, uh, uh, I mean, you are quite right. Yeah, yeah, that was a foolish thing to say. Just, just general baiting, really. Yeah. Um, uh, so... Um, <laughs> If you take this to be misogynistic, then you need to have a good long look at yourself because I don't think the victim is ever explicitly identified as being a woman. I'm not sure about that, Doc. Well, I think there is a line later that seems to suggest um, it's a woman. Sure. Um, what the lyrics, taken in totality, make me think of, and this is the strangest thing, and it's probably only because um, I, I did a series of watch-through probably less than two years, or between less than one or two years ago. Um there's an episode of Miami Vice um, about someone who dresses up and tortures mannequins. Yeah. Um, and that it, it it made me think about that because it, it's it's not precisely the same time, but it's kind of the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're talking about who's baiting who, um, I'd also like to sort of raise the, 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 the spectre, or not, not even raise the spectre, just bring, bring up the subject. This is an outsider's view. Of, this is what outsiders think SM is, don't they? Well, it is interesting, actually. Um, I, I, I kind of made a note saying, you know, a caricature of s and Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there's... It's a monologue. Um, we don't get a clue as to whether it's a monologue or whether it's half of the dialogue that, or, or whether it's just the one half of the dialogue that we get. Um, there's nothing to suggest that it isn't a person. Ro- I, I'm at, in, in some, I'm going to stand on this. Um, it's um, an appropriated form of what people who are not into the culture think that SM actually is. Um, all they can see is violence and abuse and power and control. Um, and they don't even, they don't get, and they don't want to get the idea that there could be anything such as informed consent, um, role play, role playing, um, any aspect of fun or games or anything like that. I'm going to offer up that as one version of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's perfectly possible, Doc. I think I think it's per- perfectly possible that this is kind of a fan- like a fantasy role play that's taking place between a consenting couple. Um, or a love letter. Go on. Mm-hmm. Well, you, uh, uh, um, a, um, a poem enclosed in a love letter mm-hmm. from one person involved in an SM relationship to another person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think the, the verses are the internal thoughts of 
the protagonist effectively and then the chorus um in fact doc what it what 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 don't you drop the chorus on us and, and then i can finish my thought you're nothing an objective animation a subjective mannequin beaten into submission raping again and again so i think i think the verses are the, the like the internal monologue of the protagonist and then the chorus is the monologue the actual verbal spoken audible monologue of the protagonist yeah that makes perfect sense yeah mm-hmm. um and i mean as such it's the most authentically um what's it it's the most uh, not not even sadistic. It's it, it's the most authentically actually Sadian thing that Slayer have ever written. Mm-hmm. Um, is, so, is this the first time they've got into S and M doc? You know, we have spoken before about how almost sexless Slayer are generally. I'd go so far as to say that that by now, this far in, it's become a bit weird, and they're starting, like for grown men, they're starting to look a bit oddly squeamish about sex. Yeah, a bit asexual, almost. Well, it, asexual, you know, Fugazia asexual, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, Fugazia people who have got no interest in sex in their personal lives, um, or in writing about it in songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're celibate vegans, and they in a weird way, they almost make a fetish of their own asexuality. Um, but, 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 but I'm the same, Doc, in my writing. I refuse to write ever a sex scene between, like, a consenting heterosexual couple. It's so fucking boring. Who cares? I agree with you. Um, but Slayer are a little different to that. Slayer are... There's there's just this odd sense of squeamish, and I mean to, to talk about Slayer being squeamish people um, <laughs> is extremely silly. Like yeah, in, yeah. Um, in the first sense, but um, it's not even it's not even that they have what um, Laura Mulvey would call like um, the pornographic imagination. It's not like they can only imagine sex in the context of sadism or in the context of rape or in the context of sex. They, they, they just see, they, they seem to like, they don't make a point of not talking about it the way the straight edges do. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't talk about it. And, and it's once again, to sort of drag in a bit of, um, a bit of feminism here. Um, it's a thing that's present by its absence. Sure. Oh yes, it, it 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 it's almost like, like it's almost like a lie of omission. That's what you're saying, isn't it, Doc? Yeah. Um. Mm. Or it's like it, it's kind of like one of those old maps of the world, mm. um, where the ocean just peters out inconclusively, and there's a picture of a sea monster, and it says, you know, unknown or uncharted. There be dragons. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or um, a thousand kilometer ice wall. Beyond which lies, <laughs> beyond which lies the place where David Bowie dwells, Doc. You know it. <laughs> you know it's true. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> and if this is true, um, if this is kind of the first song that Slayer have ever written about sex, um, I, I, I would say Dead Skin Mask also. 
Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, but but based on reality, I suppose that where, where, where this is a piece of fiction. Yeah, and uh, I mean, for the record, I also think that Ed Gein would deny that what he did was anything to do with sex either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I, 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 I don't think Ed Gein approved of sex outside of marriage. Uh, well, I, reckon, I, think... I reckon Ed Gein liked Facebook, Doc, because he seemed to me like a massive poet. <laughs> <laughs> um, Doc, do you want to hit us with the, uh, the next verse, please, sir? Shackled my princess, dangling in distress. Here to discipline, my sole purpose never ends. Bleeding on your knees, my satisfaction is what I need. The urge to take my fist and violate every orifice. So obviously there's the line that seems to suggest that it is a female victim. But of course, I mean, it's not definitive, is it? Because I sometimes call you, you know, I've called you princess in the past, haven't I, Doc? And we've, yeah. and we've laughed about it, you know. I, I call men love all the time. Um, so it, it's not definitive, but it, it, it is indicative. Um, isn't it an expression that's also used to refer to submissives in gay SM relationships? I don't know that. I mean, you tell me. I don't know. Um, I mean, um, excessively effeminate or feminised um, like virgin sissy boys, mm. I think I, 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 I sometimes call I, I sometimes refer to themselves or I refer to as princesses. Ah, yes, yes. So, so again, there's interpretation here. Um, I they they fulfil a similar role but have different clothes to a dog boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and we've all wanted one of those at some point in our lives, haven't we? Let's be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean. This the eye is drawn to that last fucking uh, section. My, you know, the urge to take my fist and violate every orifice. I've got to say, Doc. I mean, just hats off to Kerry King here. Fucking hats off. What a fucking line that is. That is absolutely brilliant. And yet, the, and, and here's the peculiar thing about it. Um, it's very carefully calculated to make your gorge rise. Mm-hmm. Um, at the explicit sexual violence that's intended, mm-hmm. um, but the guy's actually the, the, the narrator is actually doing it, is he? Uh, go on, tell me what. What do you mean? Because it says the urge. Oh, the urge. So, so he's not doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, not yet. You know, it's, it's like a threat, isn't it? You know, there's like a th- like a sense of intent there, I suppose. Well, if if you're right, it's the interior monologue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is um, this is the equivalent of our Sadian hero, main character. <laughs> um, hero, yeah, great. Um, like meditating on the fact that um, what he plans to do with this sack of meat um, is to slit a belly open, extract the eighth-month-old fetus, fill the void with a package containing shit and sulphur, and sew it back up again so that she can bake from the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the interior monologue part. The exterior monologue part um, will then say, heaven has declared in its wisdom 
that it is your duty to endure these sufferings as it is my duty to inflict them. Um, for the law is all good conduct shall be uh, well chastised. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so it, it's, it's, it's the it's it's the interior monologue um, and then the exposition. Um, <clears throat> I I think you should probably say something about the French Revolution here as well. Um, there's <laughs> there's a, something we haven't had for ages. There's a bit of an intentional slay of mildness here. Just this use of the word dangling. <laughs> it's, it's just, just, just the word dangling, I can't yeah. take it seriously. Yeah, I, I almost noted a bit of mildness earlier, that my face of pleasure, the gleam in my eye, because it, there is that... <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got, he's, got a he's got a gleam in his eye, you know, hasn't he? That, 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 like, like the glint of the postman, the, the glint of the milkman's fucking eye, you know. Yes. Yeah, that, that kind of came to mind a little bit. Um, here oh. we go, Doc. Let, 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 let's finish the lyrics off. Slaves to my torments, scream to your heart's content, time and time again, pleasure in inflicting pain, power so intense, trying to circumvent, unadulterated battery, manipulated reality, God's dead, I am alive. Dun, dun, dun. And there's the end of the track, man. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, 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 that last line is so kind of out of place with the rest of what's been going on. But I suppose it is this inner monologue, isn't it? And it's this, I mean, I, I know messianic isn't quite right because messianic refers to, refers to Jesus and not God, but it's that kind of messianic, misplaced messianic fantasy, isn't it? It's very sad, it, it, it's, it's, it's It's straight out of Dessard. Mm -hmm. um, that God, God manifests his power, um, you know, one of the things that God loves, that people love God for the most is torturing his own son to death. Well, mm -hmm. I can do that. I can torture yeah. your son to death. Will that make you love me? Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, if I torture your son to death, uh, will, 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 will that make me into a God? Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, uh, this is obviously sideways criticism um, of a king who actually believed he was a God. Um. But it's 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 a holy um, God is dead is probably the, the the most famous thing that Friedrich Nietzsche ever wrote. Sure. Um, yeah. But I mean, th this this idea of um, you can make yourself into a god by replicate, but by by reproducing the atrocities of God. Um, and that, but the, the the Nietzsche reference ties in with kind of Slayer's kind of obsession with. Um, World War Two Nazism, doesn't it? You know, that's a, they're, 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 there's linking that you know, there's connective tissue here, isn't there, with, with some of their other tracks? Well, here's a, here's a suggestion. Um, we mentioned Andrew Dworkin once or twice over the mm -hmm. past couple of weeks. Andrew yeah. Dworkin very famously said that pornography was, um, um, I believe she said uh, it was Dakar domesticated and taken into the bedroom. Mm -hmm. Um, is this? I, I know I'm hanging out a really long way here, 
Um, if this is a criticism um, or a critique of SM practice, um, is this a suggestion that SM is the Slayer cosmology taken into the bedroom? Well, I was wondering if, if that God's dead, I'm alive line was, um, was, was, was Slayer cosmology, you know. Um, I can't help but imagine some really cheap shit Italian horror film from about 1984. Yeah. Um, and the end scene um, is you don't know that our hero has been possessed by a demon. Mm. Um, and he tries on some s &M stuff with his lovely lady in the final scene. Um, and then, um, because presumably she's got a gimp hood on or something, she doesn't see, but we do, when he stands up behind her and peels off his mask, he's a demon! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> got, I've got one question about... the. the, the... A couple of lines here. Power so intense, trying to circumvent to circumvent what doc? That that, that feels like an incomplete sentence to me. Um, the material, the trying to circumvent the material facts of the situation, trying to circumvent open parentheses, an adulterated an, an adulterated battery, manipulated reality. This is why I think it's in someone's imagination. This this is the second explicit, the third explicit reference to it being in someone's imagination. Yeah. Manipulated reality. Uh -huh. um, it's kind of like, and I believe American Psycho was out by the time that this American Psycho had come out, because um, that was also a big hit in 1991. That was like the edgy, edgy book that you had to read. Sure. And um, the question that I remember having a discussion about when everyone had passed that book around and read it was, by the time you got to the end of the book, did you believe that Patrick Bateman had, killed, had actually killed anyone at all, or did you think he was just imagining it? Sure. Uh -huh. Because um, we all have these fantasies, don't we? We all have, I don't know, encounters with somebody that annoys us, irritates us, and we, you know, and we, and we fantasize about beating the fucking shit out of them. I remember I worked with a guy. I won't name him, but we. I worked with a guy. I hated him with such a fury. I would often sit there looking at him, and I would imagine grabbing his head smashing it into the fucking monitor, which at the time was a big fat one. It's not, not, not a flat screens now, a big fat monitor and cackling as his hair set on fire and the flesh off his fucking skull burnt. I would, I would imagine that most days, Doc. So we all have this shit in our brains, don't we? Oh, sure. Hmm? Um, I mean, since the subject has, has just come up, um, what do you think about American Psycho as a, 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 a literal, almost kind of scene-for-scene -scene influence on the song? Yeah, I, I, I think it's a really, really good call. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because because that dwells in this in this in this realm between you know um, actual literal fiction or um, what's what's the expression? Um, unreliable narrator, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Patrick well, Bateman I mean, is I, clearly an unreliable narrator. Um, I finished the book um, pretty much convinced um, that he'd never harmed anyone at all. Mm -hmm. um, I think the unreliable narrator aspect of um, of it is: is he even wealthy? Is is is, is he even a stockbroker? It, um, it, it, it's just all in his head, possibly, isn't it? You know, yeah, um, none of this um, is true. 
The, the only parts that have veracity to them are the parts that anyone could have observed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the locations are right. His descriptions of where the restaurants are and what they look like from the outside sure. and what's on the menu. So there's no good reason. He can't be a schlubby office worker um, going to his data entry clerk's job, you know, around, somewhere around Wall Street, somewhere around the, um, or somewhere around the Upper East Side. Um, and seeing what all of these people get up to. But there's nothing in that book that has any veracity about it that anyone couldn't have observed by themselves. Mm-hmm. There's a great bit where Patrick Bateman, is, it, it, he's, he's actually talking about, um, he, um, he gets coked up and he hires two prostitutes and he gets one of them to beat the other one with a wire coat hanger. Um, and suddenly all the tiny minutiae, all the, all, all the obsessive uh, attention to detail. Do you remember where he spends like five minutes describing um, every single track on a Phil Collins album? Yeah, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. In unendurable detail. Mm-hmm. But when he gets to the juicy bits, when he gets to the pornographic bits, um, it's almost like this poor schlub's imagine. Like he doesn't even imagine. He doesn't even know what. Like if he'd been able to hire two expensive prostitutes and get them to do whatever he wanted for his entertainment, mm. he doesn't even know what he'd get them to do. I did, um, oh, the film version of it, which I, which I reasonably enjoyed, I, I didn't think it was great. I thought they made a good fist, as it were, of, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, of of making an unfilmable book a film. Um, There's, you've got the shot where Christian Bale is having sex, like doggy style, with a prostitute. And he's just admiring his own form in a mirror the whole time. And I thought, Doc, if, if I was making this, what I would have done to fuck with the audience... I would have had him kind of look at his reflection and then like move his arm to to, to, to to check his biceps, but the reflection doesn't move for like a couple of seconds later. Just to like fuck with that. Do you know what I mean? Just just make it oh, what's going on here? Um, you had an even better idea than I your your, your idea is, is is even better than mine. My idea was during all of those self-regarding bits. Yeah. Um I'd have had some pasty, schlubby guy staring back at him in the yeah, mirror. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just, just something like that, just, just to send that message, you know. Yeah. Um, For sure. Or, like, even, like, cut it down to the six frames or something. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, just, just something, just just to communicate to the audience, are you fucking sure this is real? Yeah. You know, um, without, actually, so, okay. without actually signposting it, you know. Well, so, I mean, just, just to go back, because I think this song does the same thing. Um, all the bits of American Psycho that are described in lunatic detail by someone who knows what they're talking about very, very clearly, um, they're all the stuff that anybody could have done. Anyone anyone can stand outside a restaurant um, and memorise the position of all the tables and look at the menu that's bolted to the wall outside and memorise that. Mm -hmm. Anyone could buy a Phil Collins album. Um, I know it was the yuppie era, but Phil Collins albums still weren't heartbreakingly expensive. Sure. <laughs> too fucking much, but not heartbreaking. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, more, more than 5p probably is too expensive. Yeah. Um, but then when it comes to the really out there parts, um, actually his imagination fails him completely and he mm. can't describe them properly. Yeah, you're right, Doc. You're right. Um, he just talks, in, he, he, he just like says in, in, in a really, really short sentence uh, and, and 
and I killed with an nail gun. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, I, I'm going to come to something like a bit of a definitive conclusion. Go on. Um, even if it isn't based on the book American Psycho, um, even if uh, I think it's part of the same zeitgeist, mm. um, it's called sex murder art. Um, I think it's part of that same late Reagan era or hangover of Reagan era um, zeitgeist where all narration becomes very, very unreliable. Um, mm. You can't trust, you can't trust what you see. Sometimes you can't even trust what you feel. Mm -hmm. Um I am certain that a real actual woman isn't being... <laughs> no women were harmed in the making of the song. Thank God for that, Doc. Thank God for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm going to loop back to what I said at the beginning. Um, if you think this is misogynistic and if you think this is about the literal abuse of a real actual woman, then you need to think about what of yourself you're bringing into this process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. The lady doth protest too much and all that kind of jazz, Doc. Yeah. Let's move on. Welcome to part four of the show. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have missed. Um, before we get to that, though, uh, some writing credits. Uh, music by Kerry King. Lyrics by Tom Araya. Again, we've already discussed it. I am shocked that Hanneman was nowhere near this, but there we go. He's not. Um, according to set list, this was played a mere 111 times, putting it in 55th position overall. First play, SFX Hall in Dublin, November the 6th, 1994. And last play, something called Dower. No details of where this is. Dower, D-O-U-R, Dower, um, uh, July the 12th, 1998. Um, Dower, you see this in Yorkshire, Or Scotland, one or the other. Um According to Loudwire, um, this is what they say. They put it in 78th position overall out of 118. Um, Sex Murder Art should have been bumped up one slot on Divine Intervention. This punchy cut trims any hint of fat with a sub-two-minute runtime, calling to mind the speedy efficiency of Rain in Blood. There's variations in the tempos that serve to accentuate the faster moments, showing that while the album was hit and miss, Slayer still had their mojo. That's what they have to say. I don't really disagree with that, apart from their dissing of the first track, which I totally disagree with. Uh, a, a quick point to make, Doc. The title, Sex Murder Art, echoes a T-shirt that Tom Araya used to wear on the Seasons in the Abyss tour. Um, he had a T-shirt, plain black, like a vest, like a basketball vest, basically. Just three words, sex dot, murder dot, art dot. Quite interesting, man. Um, uh, from the title, um, I, I'd hoped the song would be more about that subject. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'd hoped, yeah, I'd hoped the song would be more about what it says on the tin, honestly. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, that's it, really. You um, done? I, what, I, I'm probably sounding very dismissive, and, and I'm, I'm not. Um, but I mean, you know, in the end, it's a track that I'm just never going to have a great deal of lasting affection for. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's okay. Yeah. 
I kind of feel the same way, Doc, really. You know, I, I like that kind of uh, Trixie opening riff. I think the actual, um, you know, look, 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 we, we never really talked, we never really talked about the guitar, do we? but I think the riffs are fine. Um, I, do, I do like the lyrics. I, I like the fact that, you know, the, 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 it's, it, it's, it seems to me, Doc, this is a band that just don't give a flying fuck what anybody thinks about them. Um, you know, they're, 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 whatever. We, we're going to write it. We're going to try and piss you off. And we don't give a fuck if you like it or not. Um, Do you suppose that at the moment, at this particular moment in time, I mean, we, we assume they possess relative financial security. Sure. By now, um, you'd think, wouldn't you? Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying they're rich. No. But the chances of them dying homeless and starving mm-hmm. are greatly reduced compared to what they were in 1985. Yeah. Um, do you suppose um, that they have a massive sense of liberation from no longer being on top? When you say on top, what do you mean? Well, it, certainly, I... When, um, the, when the big three albums came out. Mm-hmm. I knew the name Slayer before I knew the names Metallica or Megadeth. And I knew Slayer by reputation. And I knew how fearsome Slayer were by reputation long before I ever heard a Slayer song. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, in that they were they were pop cultural demons. Mm. Um at that point, there were everything that was bad and wrong with society, and there were the men that you wanted to hang, mm-hmm. um, if you read the Daily Express. Mm-hmm. Rather than oh. the men you wanted to hang with in reality. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and obviously a lot changed between 1989 and 1994. Um, and Slayer were in the position of being another really quite successful extreme music band mm-hmm. at this point. Um, certainly they weren't anywhere near music. Ironically, musically they kind of were, but experientially they weren't close to being at the cutting edge anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the kind of thing that the kindest thing we'd say about them is that they were by now they were elder statesmen, weren't they? Yeah, oh for sure, yeah, because yeah, because Death metal had arrived. Black metal was 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 was, was kind of bubbling away as well. Yes, yeah. by this point they, they were kind of yesterday's news. Not musically because it's still you know it's still Slayman and and they're still fucking awesome. But culturally, yes, you're right. You know they they they, they, they were bygone, weren't they? I don't. I, I never said yesterday's news. I, I I'm I'm going to stick by the expression "elder statesman." Fair enough. They were yeah. they were recognised as um they were. <laughs> They were kind of like mafia dons by now. Um, mm-hmm. There were the people who everyone knew had made their bones and being hard cases in their youth, and they no longer had anything to prove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now they were uh, they were now the figures, if you like, and other people had stuff to prove to them. They were Tony Soprano as opposed to Paulie and Silvio. That's what you're saying, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Just like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah. Doc, are you ready to pronounce? Um, I am. Fire away, sir. How many, um, how many liquescent skulls 
But it, it, it scores a sword. It, your sword, Donnie. How many Lee Crescent swords yeah. are you giving a sex murder art, Doc? I mean, it, it's... This is another case of damning with faint praise. Like, I, I'm just going to have to trot out the seven. Seven? Um, yeah, there's, there's not one thing about it I dislike. There's mm-hmm. not one thing I wish they'd left out in the edit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no bits that ruin it. There's no bits that make me think, oh, why the fuck do you have to do that? Why, why did you have to go there? Or why do you have to, like, go dun, dun, at that moment or something like that? Hey, no sexual dwarfs. Yeah. Yeah. I never hate any band for using the anal sexual dwarfs cadence, and you know. But, you know, there's there's nothing I love about it. I... It's it's because I dislike it so little that I'm not giving it six. It's only worth a six, but there's nothing about it that pisses me off, so it gets another point by by default. But seven is still seventy percent. That's pretty good, man. Um, you know, do, any film that gets seven out of ten, I'm going to watch it. Well, you're going to say six then? All right. You're going to, oh God, I've just beaten you down to six. <laughs> six, six. Six out of ten, it is. Oh shit! What have I done? Well. As you know, I always fill my um, score out before I hear the doc's score. Um, so, as Dustin Hoffman said to Susan George in Straw Dogs, you want to try for five? Right. As, um, <laughs> there we go. Um, as we know, I always fill out my um, spreadsheet before I speak to the doc. So I'm not in any way influenced because not only is he a Lovecraftian entity, with hideous liquescent flesh. He's also a master manipulator of the mind and and can make me do terrible, terrible things from time to time. So I prevent that by filling in my Excel spreadsheet. Um, (laughs) On this occasion, I've given this track seven out of 10, Doc. There we go. Yeah. So we're not far. (laughs) We're we're not a million miles away, are we? No. Um, We're not you know, it, it's it's good. It's it's good. It's it's good times with Slayer, and that's the worst you can say about it. Exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, join us next time, guys, um, when we will be listening to track three from Divine Intervention, which is, of course, fictional reality. You're gonna be there, Doc. Of course, I am. See you then, buddy. <laughs>